Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's jump into the Word today. We are studying the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 13. Grab a Bible, get comfortable. We'll be here for at least 30 minutes, sometimes longer. You know me. So let's go ahead and pray as we open God's Word together. Amen. Father, we do thank you today for your word, and God, I just look forward to how you're going to instruct our hearts, convict our hearts, encourage our hearts. I pray for everybody watching and tuning in. Father, we thank you that you're going to bless us and strengthen us because your word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. As we study Acts 13, I pray that you would show us what we need to see. Help us, Lord, to live out your word with grace and conviction. And we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. We are studying Acts chapter 13. And so let's jump right in. If you have your Bible, I read from the New American Standard Version, the 1995 one. That's the one that we, that's the one that I've been studying for a long time. But I like a lot of other Bible translations, by the way. I have my 1984 New International Version. I don't have the newer New International Version, but I also really love the Amplified Bible. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor Ben, what Bible do you read? I read the New American Standard. I also read the 1984 NIV, and I love the Amplified Bible. I do consult with the New Living Translation, the NLT, and there are other ones that I would read as well, and I I use them for when I study. I always want to look at what the other translations say because the Bible was written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, and so the translations are just that. They're just translations. So we, we obviously want to look at the various ones that are credible, and there are handfuls of them that are just great translations. So I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. You're welcome for that fun, brief, extremely brief introduction to Bible translations. But here's what it says, and I'm only going to read so much here in Acts 13 because it's uh, 43 verses, and we're only going to get through half of that. So bear with me as I read about 20 verses today. Here's what it says in verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. Remember, this is John Mark, of course. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they had a a magician, a magi, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul, but Elymas, which, um, by the way, Elymas is the guy that's, that's Bar-Jesus, which is son of Joshua. So Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, to, uh, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, first time he's mentioned as Paul here, by the way, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on this man, and he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw what happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to the sea from Paphos and came to Perga, Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets in the synagogue, the synagogue officials sent them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And so Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, and then he began to speak to them. I won't be able to go into all of that because there's a lot that goes on there, but we have a lot already in this chapter to look at. And so we just want to go back to verse 1, and I'll make some comments that I think are hopefully helpful for us to just unpack what is actually here. And it says here, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Let me back up and give a little review of what we studied yesterday in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, we looked at how Herod had put to death James, the brother of John, who was a direct disciple of Jesus. That was the first direct apostle, direct disciple of Jesus who was martyred. After that, he puts Peter into prison, and he's about to kill him, but we remember that supernaturally, God released him from prison by sending an angel who led him out. And as a result of that, Herod went to another place, and he suffered the judgment of God, and he did die. And there's this verse that the chapter closes with. Chapter 12 says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So Paul or Saul and Barnabas, who is later Paul, they come back from Jerusalem where they had, remember, taken an offering at Antioch. They brought that money as a, as a form of relief to the believers in Jerusalem because there was going to be a great famine, according to the prophets. They brought that money there. They came back to Antioch. That verse really has less to do with chapter 12 and more to do with chapter 13. So now we jump into chapter 13 and verse 1. We know that Saul and Barnabas and John Mark are there, and others, of course, they're ministering to the Lord, and they're worshiping and they're fasting. It says this specifically. Now, there were at Antioch in the church prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. A couple things that I want to uh, point out. Number one is there are prophets and teachers that are identified here. Now, this is a really important point because I wrote a book called Prophesy. If you've read the book, you know that I, I make it a point that in the New Testament and in the early church, prophets were identified. Why is that important? Because today, usually if you identify someone as a prophet, it's either in a camp or a denomination or um, a kind of um, church or, or that type of setting where um, it's, it's really common, like there's lots of prophets. Or you, you have a place or a church or a denomination where it's not very common and everybody kind of criticizes prophet so-and-so. But really, prophet was more like a job description. It's not about the person, it's about what God has anointed them with and what they're carrying. 
And so in the early church, they could identify who was a prophet and a teacher. And the reason that they did that was because they knew what Jesus had put on people's lives so that they could glean from it. It doesn't make them infallible. It doesn't make them perfect. It doesn't mean everything they say is from the Lord, but it means that they knew how to identify the people that Jesus had given those particular ministries to. So they identify prophet and teacher. And then it goes on to mention five individuals. Now, what do we know about Antioch? We know that Antioch was a large city, 500,000 people. About 25,000 people that were in that city were Jewish. So it was a very multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual city. I mean, it's a large city. Many of those who had experienced persecution from the church in Jerusalem, and it says that they had been scattered. We've read about that all the way, if you go all the way back to Acts chapter 7, where we studied how Stephen was the first martyr of the church. After Stephen was martyred, it says that the church was scattered, but the word of the Lord grew. How did it do that? Because as the word of God through the people of God was spread to these different cities and regions, we know that the people of God rose up, preached the gospel, made disciples. Antioch was one of those places where the gospel had spread to because people moved there and began to influence those that were living in that city. And so Antioch here is a place that was reaching people for the gospel. And clearly, there are prophets, and there are teachers, and there are different individuals. Now, look at these individuals that are named, and I think this is really important. So what we have here first is we have a person named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is mentioned 28 times in the book of Acts. He's a very significant person. He's a Jewish man. He's a significant person to the development of the church, or else he wouldn't be named 28 times in the book of Acts and Paul's letters. He was a companion of Paul. In fact, he's, his name means son of encouragement. He came alongside Paul and others. He was, he's the one that brought Paul, before he was Paul, as Saul. When he got converted, he brought him to the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 9. He was willing to risk his reputation by bringing Saul to the Jerusalem council, and they knew that Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was a vicious persecutor of the church. Barnabas was willing to risk his reputation in order to do what he felt God called him to do. He's the son of encouragement. So Barnabas is a significant person for the early church. So that's one individual that we see here. The second person that we see is Simeon. We know Simeon, who was also called Niger. Simeon was from the nation of Cyrene, which we're going to talk about here in a moment. Um, we know that he was African. He was a black man. And so right off the bat, we move from there's a Jewish man to there's a black man. So we have multiculturalism right here in this little group of people who are fasting and are praying. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know that he is from Cyrene. We also know it says Lucius um, of Cyrene. He's, a African, he's from the African nation uh, as well. We don't know anything about this man. And we know also Menaean, who's a Jewish man who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Some say he was from, he was like his cousin, or maybe he could have been adopted, but he could have royal blood in him. We don't really know much about these people, but they are mentioned. They're mentioned by name. That is significant. We have some multicultural, uh, different status functioning in here. The last person that is mentioned, of course, is Saul. And we've talked a lot about him. We're going to continue to talk a lot about him. He was from 
um, the line of Pharisees before he was converted to Christ. So he has a significant background that will be used by the Lord throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So Antioch's a diverse city. Antioch is a place where believers are not only coming, but many believers are coming to faith in Christ. And so it's a significant place. In fact, if you said to me, "What kind of a church do you want to model? What what church in the what church in the in the early church or what city would you want to model church after?" It would be Antioch. I mean, you see that there's this dynamic there. There is um, multilingual, multicultural, multi-ethnic, um, and the gospel is reaching lots of people in a huge, massive place. Five hundred thousand people. We live in Federal Way. Hundred thousand people. This is five hundred thousand people. So it's a very large city. Think about this for the ancient world. And so we also have here in verse two. It says, "While they, these individuals, were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them.' Now, just think about this for a moment. We have prophets and teachers." They're fasting and they're praying, which is the context for which they hear the voice of God. When God speaks, he speaks through a prophet. He doesn't just, the Holy Spirit didn't speak out of thin air. I've actually heard people say that before. It's super wacky. Uh, don't listen to that. That's, that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen in the Bible, but, uh, or not like this anyways. There are times where the Father speaks from heaven, if you want to reference that, or the presence of Yahweh in the Old Testament. There's a couple occasions where where the Father would speak to somebody. But this direct reference to the Holy Spirit, he's not speaking out of thin air like another reference to the Father speaking to someone. It is through a prophet that the Holy Spirit is speaking. And that's why in verse 1 it mentions there are prophets and there are teachers in Antioch. So the context, though, is worship and worship prayer and fasting. Now, it's really important that we catch that because this is the genesis, this is the beginning of the first missionary journey of Paul, who he takes Barnabas and John Mark with them when they get sent out here in just a moment. For us, we understand that the greatest missionary journey and missionary efforts started in a prayer meeting, and it started by fasting, it started by worship. Why is this significant? Well, we talked about this a little bit last night at our Ignite prayer gathering. For those that seek to reach the world, for those that seek to spread the gospel, for those that seek to fulfill the Great Commission, we must understand that it will be preceded by prayer. Why? Because spiritual activity, spiritual fruit, spiritual results must start in the place of prayer because we are not able to convince people that Jesus is real. We are not able to make people give their lives to Christ. This is a heart thing. We are not able to uh, make a difference in the city. We are not able in and of ourselves to combat the forces of darkness, but in the power of the Spirit and through the strength of God's Word, that there are spiritual things that are happening as God's people pray, as God's people preach, as God's people prophesy. When we seek to do the will of God in the world that we live in, it must be bathed in prayer. It must be grounded and founded in prayer. Prayer is not inactivity. Prayer is spiritual activity, and it's the foundation 
for which God's will extends and expands through the life of his church. And this is why prayer meetings must be filled. This is why we've got to go back to a place of truly seeking God in fasting and prayer, not just because we want to stay in fasting and prayer, but fasting in prayer is the foundation for the great commission being fulfilled. How do we know that? We see that right here. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus would go to the mountain and pray. Many, 13 times, the gospel records Jesus going to be by himself in sort of some mountain region to be alone with the Father. Why would he do that? Because Jesus depended upon the Father as he lived life on the earth. Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully man. But he lived a life of dependence upon the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. He did that as a pattern for you and for me. This is significant. 13 times it says he went off to be alone with the Father. Here we have the greatest missionary journey that's, that ever has occurred is bathed and is preceded by prayer and fasting. So let, let's ask the question, do you and do I, do we fast? Do we set apart this area of food in order to advance in our life of prayer with God? Do, and don't move on from this, all right? Right here, right now. I'm asking you, if you're watching, if you're listening, do you fast? Do you have any days throughout the month or any days throughout the week where you fast? When you read church history, one of the things you find is that the church has always fasted. They have always fasted. There were, de- there were times where denominations departed from that. There were times of, where the church departed from that. And it's really important that the people of God go back to the place of fasting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, here's how you're to do it. He also said, when you pray, here's how you are to do it. One of the things that we're doing in the new year is we're starting a 21-day uh 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're calling it Focus 2021. Why are we doing that? Because we want a clean house. We want a clean slate. We want to dedicate the new year to the Lord together as a congregation. There's a couple things that are important with this. Prayer is something we do as an individual, but it is also something we do as the church. Remember that. It's something we do as an individual, but it's something we do as a church. Fasting. Prayer is something we do as individuals, but it's something we do as a church. I was just meeting with somebody just yesterday, and they told me that they were, they were befriending a Muslim uh, individual, and that person had told them about their mosque, which is the largest mosque in the area, not far from where our church is. This mosque, pre-COVID and post-COVID potentially, before COVID was going on, they have a, a prayer meeting there three times a day. Uh, Orthodox Muslims are going to pray three times, five times a day, but there's three times a day where they have this corporate prayer where people will come from all over and you can't even get a parking spot up to a mile away, he said. There are 600 people three times a day, 600 people. And again, not to be rude or whatever or malign anyone, but Allah is not a real God. It's a false God. And so here we have 600 people three times a day, packing out this place to pray to a God that is not listening or responding. Listen, not a real God. Why is that important? Because there's a conviction in the Muslim community to go to prayer. Now, they may do that religiously. I'm not here to speak about all the specifics of that, but it, it's, it just touched my heart because I'm like, look, how, how can we as Christians have the real God 
the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction and the clarity of God's word and not be a people of prayer. My vision is for us to fill the prayer room. Right now, we have anywhere from 80 to 100 people coming to our prayer meeting, prayer and worship, Ignite Prayer Gathering on uh, Wednesday night. That's on-site. We have another 100 people that join us online. Whether you do it on-site or online, doesn't matter. Don't, don't hear any um, uh, shame or guilt in any of that. You need to do what's best for you, whether on-site or online. Regardless of how we do it, we must do it. What I am saying is that the people of God have got to get back to the place where we seek the Lord in prayer and we seek the Lord in fasting. Now, we're starting the new year with fasting, but we also are going to have once a month, we're going to fast together. It's called focus. We're going to focus together by fasting together once a month. And I, I believe that we're going to go from once a month to once a week, but we're going to start with once a month. And I want to move the church to a place of prayer because I know if we fast and we pray together, not just some of us, not just a couple of us that feel the burden, but if we begin to fast and pray, we will send out missionaries, we will plant churches, we will raise up disciples because the conviction of the Lord will be present. The power of the Lord will be present. The sending of the Lord will be present. This is so significant. This is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. And I pray that every church of Jesus, every single church is raising up disciples who fast, who pray, who seek the face of God. And as a result of that, all that God wants to flow out of our life will flow out of our life because it first starts in intimacy with Jesus. It always starts with us connecting our hearts to Jesus's heart. When we're connected with Jesus, we will do what he says. When we're connected to the voice of God, we will obey what he says. In prayer comes repentance. In prayer comes conviction. In prayer comes the word of the Lord and sort of that deep-seated conviction of that passage that we have read many, many, many times. There are a lot of people that know the Bible really well, but there are not as many people who are seeking to manifest the character of Christ, obey the will and the word of God in the same way that they study it and memorize it. Listen, we've got to study the word, but studying the word precedes obeying the word. We've got to pray and fast, but, but praying and fasting precedes that manifestation of obedience to that which God is calling us to, both in his word and by his spirit. So are you fasting? And if you say no, join me for Focus 2021 it's going to start January 7th. You're going to hear more about it from Northwest Church. Even if you don't go to our church, you can join us for 21 days of prayer and fasting in the new year. Also, join me once a month for that prayer and fasting. And if you can, on-site, whether on-site or online, once a week, every Wednesday at 7 p.m., shameless plug, Ignite Prayer Gathering. Join me as we fast and as we pray together as a church. It says, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucus, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now they're in Antioch. They go to Seleucia, which is 17 miles. It's right on the coast. It's that port city before they get into Antioch, 17 miles away. So they get on a boat there, and they go 70 miles to, to the island of Cyrene. Cyrene is an African nation. It's got, like I've told you, it's got many people there. It's, it suggests that there are many Jews that are there. So they get on a boat and they travel all the way there. When they reach Salamis, which is that the main city for Cyrene, they begin to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John Mark as their helper. 
Now, they go to this main city, this port city in Cyrene. The first thing they do is they go to the synagogue. Why did they do that? Well, this becomes Paul's protocol whenever he goes to a city. He first goes to the synagogue. And this is, I think, spiritual and practical. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Paul speaks about the gospel that goes first to the Jew and then to the Greek, but to both. And he specifically states first to the Jew. Well, first to the Jew because the Jewish people are God's first covenant people. And so just out of this honor um, for those who carried the covenant, for those who established the temple, the, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, the gospel is going to them first because they were the carriers of the first covenant. And so Paul just honors these people, his people. He goes to the Jews first. He goes into the synagogue. That's a spiritual reason. A practical reason is that he's reaching those that he can speak to. He's going first to those that he knows. He's going first to those that speak his language. He's going first to those that understand the Old Testament. The New Testament is built on the Old Testament. Jesus was the Messiah who had been prophesied in the Old Covenant. The Jews believed that. Pagans, Gentiles, many Gentiles that weren't proselytes to Judaism, they wouldn't believe this. They would have to be converted based out of, uh, or come. they would be converted out of paganism, which is totally another religion. It'd be very similar if I were to go preach to the Buddhists first, rather than those who were Jews or potentially uh, a religion that would sync with what it is that I believe. If I'm a missionary and I go to another country, I'm going to speak to those first that I can speak to. And then second, I'm going to go to those that will take more time explaining, learning their language, understanding that there's a culture that I'm speaking in. Not that I have to be fully educated to reach people, but it is important that on a practical level, Paul's going to those that he can first speak to. And then second, he's going to the Gentiles. Now, there were proselytes, those that had converted from paganism to Judaism. So they are Gentiles, but now they are worshiping Yahweh. They're worshiping the God of the Jews. And so they would also be in the synagogue. So Paul, when he goes to the synagogue, is going to be preaching to them as well. But they've already forsaken their idols. So they're easier to speak to in that sense because they are seeking the law and they're seeking to observe the the law. And they're those that have already rid themselves of their false God and false God worship. So this is the spiritual and practical reason why Paul would go to the synagogue first, and that's exactly what he does in Cyrene. It says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, Bar-Jesus, Bar means son of, Jesus would be like Joshua or Yeshua, so son of Joshua, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus was the proconsul, which means the governor of the whole area of Cyrene. He's the Roman governor. He's a man of intelligence. In the original language, this could mean he was a man who caught on to things quickly. This is kind of what this would refer to. Not just he was already a smart man, but he was, he was somebody that could catch on to what's being said. He was a man uh, that could learn. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So the governor, the leader of this region, wanted to hear the gospel through Paul and Barnabas. He sent for them. But Elymas, which is the, mag- the magician who is... Um, Bar-Jesus, the son of Joshua. Uh, he was opposing them for seeking to turn pro- the proconsul ar- away from the faith. So somehow he was trying to talk to the proconsul. He's trying to 
trying to talk to Sergius Paulus saying these guys are fake or false or he's seeking to oppose them in some way that was obvious, some way that was tangible. It doesn't say how he did that, but we know that's what he was trying to do. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, remember this is the first time that the name Paul is mentioned rather than Saul. Paul is going to be his Roman name. Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him, and he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now listen, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. I just thought it was interesting. I think it's Acts 9.26. Guess who else was blind for a time? Guess who? Paul, the same person that proclaims judgment on this magician is the same person who had also himself been blind before. And I thought it was really interesting because when you read this story, sometimes it's like, well, this was uh, uh, the, uh, Paul's authority being exercised over darkness and all of that. Yes, it is. Actually, there is power when people, the people of God are speaking the word of God. Um, here's this leader who wants to hear the gospel this magician is trying to oppose the hearing of the gospel, the responding to the gospel. And as a result of that, in a moment of authority, in a moment of spiritual warfare, Paul takes authority over the spirit behind this opposition, and he calls this man blind for a period of time. Isn't it interesting that he can also relate to this blindness? Why is this something that happens in the Bible, this blindness? I think that it's a prophetic picture of what these people really are. They actually are blind. And so God backs up his servants with power when they're speaking his word. He does not back up people who are just speaking a word. He backs up people who are speaking his word. So if a person were to take authority over a spirit or they were to oppose some spiritual force that's being animated in the natural by a particular person, if they were to do that and it wasn't God speaking through them, then nothing would happen. But if they were to do that and it was the Lord, then there would be power that's manifested. I can tell you from experience, I have seen times where I have literally not done the blindness thing. I've not said, I call you blind, but I have actually called people to stop speaking. That's happened to me a handful of times. And when I did it, it was something that just sort of rose up in me, came out of me. When I did that and somebody wasn't able to speak for 24 hours, that happened twice, just that specifically. And a handful of other times, a person was not able to speak for just a shorter period of time. And this wasn't something that I premeditated. This wasn't something that I read about. This wasn't something that I thought would be a good idea. I was literally confronting an opposition in someone while I was speaking with them. And I recognized somehow and discerned that there was a spirit behind their words, and I was able to speak to that spirit, not the person, but that spirit that was animating this person and influencing this person, even though they didn't know it at the time, when I said what I said, and I told them, be silent in Jesus' name, I was speaking to the spirit, and the spirit could not speak. Therefore, that person who was not even aware that that influence was there, that person physically could not speak for a period of time. 
I have seen this happen, and I have seen this happen in others as well. And what it shows us is that when we are sent out on mission with Jesus to share the gospel, to make disciples, he will back us up with power when opposition comes against us. And we need to know that. Some opposition will send us to prison. Some opposition will be stopped by the authority and the power of Jesus. And this is important for you and I to know. A lot of times before we enter into something like this, we're afraid. We already have fear before anything ever happens, but we need not fear because as we read the Bible, what we see is God gives us what we need when we need it. God will back us up when we need to be backed up. God will give us joy in the prison and he'll give us authority against the magician. I think that rhymed. Joy in the prison, authority against the magician. I don't know. But anyways, it's close enough, people. Just say amen. If you're with somebody, just look at them and say amen in Jesus' name. Get up, shout, dance, cry. Do whatever you got to do. It was awesome. It was a great moment. You were with me. I was with you. And, and we want to continue to see. You see how I'm just moving on? Don't you love that? This is life. If I make a mistake, it happens. You just got to keep going. Straight face, keep going. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now, this is why God did this. This wasn't to show off. This wasn't some battle against darkness and light. Uh, Jesus already won that battle, amen? He does not need to show off as though he's got something to prove, all right? And the servants of God just need to obey the Lord. So what this was about was shutting the mouth of the magician so that the gospel could be seen clearly. And this demonstration of God's kingdom authority, what it did was it caused the Sergius Paulus, the governor of that region, to give his life to the Lord because that demonstration of power was evidence that what Paul and Barnabas were speaking about was the truth. Now, we know it's the truth, but now he knows it's the truth. And what you see for the rest of this chapter and also throughout the book of Acts is so many people give their lives to Jesus. In the island of Cyrene, many give their lives to Jesus. There is a dent against the kingdom of darkness, and it starts with this moment. It starts with the powers of darkness being deauthorized in this region. It's like Paul is saying, I'm putting you on notice by silencing your magician. And even he can have a moment to repent and respond, just like Paul did. Paul certainly is going to have compassion on a guy like that because remember who he was, a vicious persecutor of the church. His eyes were blinded as well. And so I think it's really important for us to recognize that Paul and Barnabas came into the region and they deauthorized the powers of darkness because the authority of Jesus was being manifested in their ministry. Did you know that we carry the authority of Jesus Christ? That when we encounter the powers of darkness, whether those are direct attacks or indirect attacks, whether those are personal coming to us, whether they're thoughts or there's something coming through another person, that we have authority in Jesus' name. And our authority is not random. Our authority is not something that we can just do whenever we want. But it is that while we are doing what Jesus says, while we are obeying his word, while we are ministering the gospel, while we are making disciples, while we are making Jesus known to those around us, we have authority over anything that gets in the way. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, he says, first, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then the next thing he says, go. What does that mean? That means I'm 
I'm the author and I'm authorizing you. I'm giving you authority. He's the author. He authorizes by giving authority to those that are following his will and his word. I'm giving you authority. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you and I am with you until the end of the age. He's saying, I'm with you in the mission. He's not just saying, I'm with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus already said that. He's saying, I've given you an impossible mission to accomplish in the flesh. You can only do this by the power of the Spirit. You can only do this in authority because you're gonna get opposed. You're gonna have people come against you. You're gonna have people try to stop you. But I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I'm giving you that authority to go and do what I'm telling you to do. What that means for us is if we are actually sharing the gospel, if we are making disciples, if we are continuing the ministry of Jesus, we will not be stopped. Even in our death, what we see from Scripture is you can't stop the gospel of Jesus. You can't stop the preaching of the gospel. You can't stop planting of churches. You can't stop the making of disciples. You cannot stop the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Even in the death of the saints, the Word of God spreads all over the region. So it's almost like when the death of the saints happen, it's like to the devil, it's like you thought you killed us, but what actually happened is you just made the gospel spread. S- Stephen gets martyred in Acts chapter 7, and the gospel gets spread because the believers are scattered. Can you imagine how frustrated the devil must be? Let's not talk about that, but let's just acknowledge it. Can you imagine how frustrated demons must be? I mean, think about when Jesus was crucified. The devil might have prepared the cross, but the father told the son to go to it. So the devil thought that he won, but God makes what the devil meant for evil turn around for good. That is not just a Christian quote or some quip that doesn't mean anything, some happy clappy song. The reality is, is what the devil means for evil, God will turn it into good. The devil prepared the cross, but the father said, go and die on it. And the devil thought he won. The enemy thought he won when Jesus died on the cross, but we won. He rose again. He overplays his hand every time. Here's this magician who thinks that he's going to oppose the real gospel of Jesus, and the actual opposite happens. He is blinded for a period of time. The governor gives his life to Jesus, and the gospel spreads throughout the whole region. If that does not encourage you, it should. It wasn't because Paul was eloquent. It wasn't because Barnabas was a nice guy. It was because the authority of Jesus was manifested. Friends, let me tell you something that I believe in my heart. The authority of Jesus is getting restored back to the church. We are going to be on mission. We are going to be about what Jesus is about. We are going to speak in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. We're not going to be doing our own thing for our own kingdom, for our own purposes. But when we are about the kingdom of God, we have the authority that Jesus gives because he is the king of the kingdom. And he has told us, if you're doing what I tell you to do, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You will silence, you will blind those that are speaking from a false God. You will silence the mouths of those that seek to oppose. And even those people, many of them will be converted and give their lives to Jesus. Friends, we are on the opposition. We are not on the defense. We are not on the defense. If you have a posture in your life right now where you're on the defense, be encouraged today. You are on the offense. We are not the opposition. We are not 
the def- we are not to be defensive. We are on the offense. We are moving the kingdom forward. He has given us everything we need to spread this. Yes, things will get in the way. People will get in the way. Things will be said, but we have authority in Jesus' mighty name. And the fruit of God will be evident in and through our lives as we're just obedient to his call. The book of Acts is the unfolding of the ministry of the Spirit through the saints, through the church, through the people of God. And Jesus has already won, which means that we are going out to proclaim a winning message that Jesus has disarmed all principalities and powers. All principalities and powers have been disarmed. Now we have to go and manifest that. We have to go and realize that. We have to go in the world and we're not of it, but we manifest a different king and kingdom. And as we do that, the powers of darkness will bow because they already have lost. They know that, but when the people of God get a hold of that, oh man, it doesn't matter what nation we're a part of, we will flip that nation upside down. We will flip that city upside down. And so what I want to do as we close today, I'm preaching. Come on, I'm preaching to you. I hope you're catching something out of this because none of this is on my notes, but it's definitely happening. I want to pray that we realize and we just lay hold of the authority that we've been given in Christ to continue the ministry of Jesus. This authority is not random to do what we want. This authority is to fulfill the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And to the degree that we do that, we will see his authority manifest through our life. And that's what we're about. We're about obeying Jesus today. Go ahead and say amen. And let's pray together for a moment as we close. Father, we do thank you today for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's evidence and it's an example of what is to be true in our lives that Paul is just a man, Barnabas is just a man, and here they go from Antioch to Seleucia, and they sail 70 miles to the, the nation, the island of Cyrene, and Lord, we just see this great exploit, something that you do that's very powerful, where you deauthorize through your servants the authority of the enemy, because you'd already done that in your cross, your resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray for us as the church that we would realize the authority that we have in Christ to fulfill your mission and ministry. And I pray for everybody that's tuning in today. I pray, God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, fill us with faith to believe your word. Your word is true. We don't need another word. We just need to realize that your word is true. So give us that revelation today. Help us to stand in your truth and in your authority and move the ball forward because we truly are on the offense and not the defense. We thank you, Lord. We wanna honor you with our lives. And so we give you our lives today and we pray that you would use us in whatever way that you choose. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.